Back on episodes number 60, 61, and 62, I talked all about how marketers use positioning to make an impression on their customers. And let me say up front, this is not some fancy tactic that you can choose to ignore. Positioning is one of the most powerful ideas in our culture and has been for the past 50 years. Stick around because I want to clarify this idea of positioning so you understand exactly what we're talking about. And then we're going to talk all about repositioning. We're then going to use Subway Sandwich Shops as an example uh, because I want to show you how they have successfully repositioned themselves multiple times over the years. Then I'm going to offer a suggestion of how they might reposition themselves again now. Stick around. There's an old saying goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who will never see, and those who can see when shown. This is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast for anyone who's looking. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. My name is Chip Close and this is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast dedicated entirely to the restaurant industry. Each week we discuss the tools, tactics, and strategies that will establish you as a leader in your market. That means doing more covers and driving more revenue. So we choose a topic, we pick that topic apart, we come up with some key insights, and then we always finish up with an assignment, right? I leave you with a short actionable task, something you can do right away to start implementing some of the ideas that we talk about here on the show, because as I always say, information is only as valuable as the action it inspires. Now, today's episode is sponsored by the Email Strategy Workshop. This is a live online workshop that I'm hosting on Sunday, October 4th from 12 to 3 p.m. Eastern Time here in New York. And the goal is to get you to understand the importance of integrating email marketing into the rest of what you do. This thing is going to be packed with content. I'm going to walk you through the different email service providers. I'll, I'll talk about the pros and cons of each one. I'll then help you start an account and design your first e-blast. From there, we'll talk all about segmenting your list and setting up automation to create nurture sequences and drip campaigns, how to use landing pages to grow that list. We'll talk about copywriting and, and how, to do, uh, how to write compelling subject line headings. And of course, most importantly, that all helps us use the email list to drive revenue. I've done this for dozens of restaurants and I know these things work. The workshop is priced at $197, but this week only until Monday, September 14th, I'm giving listeners of this show 50% off. It's three hours of your time and less than $100. I promise this workshop will pay for itself within a week. I've included the link in the show notes, or of course, you can visit restaurantstrategypodcast.com. Just go and click the blue button in the upper right corner. Again, this is just a three-hour workshop held on Sunday, October 4th. It is packed with important content. Plus, I'll be recording the entire thing to send you after it's over so you can go back and review whenever you want. I want to thank everyone out there who's already secured a spot. I can't wait to connect with you guys via Zoom next month. Uh, I hope many, many more people will come join us. Okay, so what is positioning? Well, let's start by first understanding consumer behavior and the realities of doing business in a noisy market. 
right? So consumers are barraged with ads and images all day long. You are, I am, everybody, uh, everybody you do business with, right? So TV commercials, radio spots, billboards, print ads, targeted social media ads, paid traffic on Google. We, we literally are exposed to thousands of brands every single day, but we can only absorb so much information. So the human mind is very good at organizing this information and then discarding what is not needed. Now, I always talk about the importance of having a category, right? And it's true because a category gives the consumer a foothold, a way to to organize things. So when they're deciding what they want to order in for dinner, the first thing most people do is decide on what type of cuisine they want. So do we want Italian or Mexican or pizza or Indian or sushi? So once you decide on a cuisine, meaning a category, in this case, let's say pizza, well, then you can figure out which pizza place you want to order from. Most fast casual restaurants are good at building loyalty, right? It's one of the best things you can do to ensure future business. So when people decide we want pizza tonight, the conversation doesn't then move to, well, which pizza place do we want to order from? Instead, you want people to have you as their favorite. And so once they've decided on pizza, you know they're going to reach for your phone number or just place the order online at your place without having that other conversation. So if you're trying to open a new pizza place in town, you have a challenge in front of you. First, you want people to know you're there, right? That's called awareness. And then next, you want to become their favorite, right? And favorite has to do with trust, has to do with loyalty. The best way to start building equity is to position yourself within the category, right? So, okay, you're a pizza place, but there are already five or six decent pizza places in the area. So then how do you set yourself apart from the rest of them? That's where positioning comes in. You figure out how to differentiate yourself from the rest of the pack. So we're a new pizza place in town, but the only one that serves traditional Chicago-style deep dish pizza. Or... We're a new pizza place in town, but we're different because of all the unusual toppings we offer, like peaches or crab meat or apples and caramelized onions. Or maybe you'll say, we're a new pizza place, but we specialize in strombolis and calzones or or Italian subs or whatever. Remember, we don't need just another anything. People already have their favorites, their favorite pizza place, their favorite sushi restaurant, their favorite whatever. That's pretty much true for all of us. So in marketing, technically speaking, positioning is where you set a new idea, in this case, your brand or your product, next to a familiar idea in the minds of the consumers. It's easier then for the consumer to remember you. I feel like I say this all the time, but again, that's why a category is such a powerful thing. It puts your brand right next to other similar brands. You then can spend the rest of your resources, the rest of your time and effort explaining how you're different from the others in that category. So remember back on episode number 60, I shared a bunch of examples, but I want to zero in on the car industry because cars are something we're all familiar with. We certainly see the commercials. We see them on the road. We see billboards, right? So they provide an easy foothold for all of us to really hammer home this idea. Now, let's look at the luxury car market, right? So so right there, immediately I've identified a category, right? So we're not talking about all cars. 
Instead, we're focusing solely on luxury cars. Now, let's think about some of the most prominent brands out there, right? So here are six. Mercedes-Benz, BMW, Volvo, Cadillac, Lexus, and Ferrari. Now, I'm sure as I read off each of those names, you were able to picture the cars or or at least the commercials advertising those cars, right? You already have an image in your head of, of what each brand stands for. So true, they're all luxury cars. They're all strong brands with excellent products, but each one has positioned itself differently within the luxury car market. So Mercedes is the world leader when it comes to luxury automobiles. They were really the first, and they still lean heavily on, on being that, that first mover, right? That, that position. They're clean, classic, elegant, in, and in many ways, they're promoting that lifestyle as much as they are promoting a car. BMW's tagline is the ultimate driving machine. They are all about performance, and we can easily think of the kind of person that a BMW is for. Volvo has the market cornered when it comes to safety. That's a position they've held literally for four decades. Cadillac is the American luxury car. Lexus is part of Toyota, and so reliability is the way that they position themselves. And then finally, Ferrari is the leader in sports cars. That's their focus, sports cars. You don't go to Ferrari to shop for an SUV or a sedan or a truck. You go for a sports car. So six of the most well-known luxury car brands on the planet, and they are all differentiated from each other. They're all successful legacy players, and not one of them is copying what the other is doing. They are each going for a different segment of the luxury car market. That's positioning. The same is possible in our businesses as well. In fact, it's required. You can't just open up another pizza place and expect to siphon off enough business from the other pizza places in your area to get you to a point where you're profitable. You have to look at the situation the same way the luxury car brands did. So Volvo said, you know, I bet there are luxury car buyers who also care a lot about safety now that they have families. So we're going to build a product just for them. Remember, find a problem, then craft a solution to that problem. Likewise, Cadillac looked at the market and said, you know, luxury car buyers have to get an import if they want luxury. Shouldn't America have their own luxury car brand? And they went out and created that product. Each and every one looked at the market and either found or created an opening in the market. That's what positioning is, and I hope you're realizing that's what marketing is. So marketing is not posters and postcards and emails and social media posts. Those are tools that we use to communicate something to our customers. But those things alone are not marketing. Marketing is about identifying a need and then filling that need, articulating the value of your product, and then communicating that to the people who need that product. So really it comes down to solving problems, serving an audience. Now, hopefully all this positioning stuff is starting to make sense because uh, I've received this question a lot recently, right? And it's been all about repositioning. In fact, I find myself talking about this several times a week, and so uh, that's why I decided to do an episode about it, right? So what do you do when you have a product and you're positioned one way in the market 
And then for one reason or another, you need to reposition yourself. So why might this happen? Well, let's say an act of God forced you to change what it is you do. For example, a global pandemic turned you into a full-time takeout restaurant. So how do you reposition yourself in the market? Now, to explain this, I'm going to again use an example that I think we can all relate to. Subway sandwich shops, right? So we've all been to a Subway before, right? We know the brand, we know the products, we know the jingle. But what is Subway? Well, Subway is an American sandwich shop. They're famous for their subs. They started out small, became one of the fastest growing food service companies in the world mainly because of their franchise agreements, right? So they were the world leader in the sandwich category, offering quick made-to-order sandwiches to go. But did you know they are also the number one fast food restaurant in the world? Uh, not by value. McDonald's is still valued higher, but uh, but by mere footprint. Uh, Subway has over 40,000 individual units in 120 different countries around the world. Now, the best way to uh, to really get into this is to uh, to talk about their history because their timeline uh, will help you better understand their repositioning. So, the company was founded back in 1965 by two guys, Peter Buck and Fred DeLuca. They opened the first shop in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and they called it Pete's Super Submarines, uh, where back then their sandwiches sold for about 50 cents a piece. Right, so. Uh, throughout the 60s and 70s, they uh, continued to grow. Eventually, they changed their name to Subway in 1968. Um, they expanded eventually to 16 locations. And as the story goes, they just couldn't keep up with things. So in 1974, they made the bold move to franchise. And that decision affected their trajectory over the next 40 years. So they did things differently than their competitors, right? As compared to a lot of other fast food chains, they tried to keep their startup costs low and they decided to franchise really to just about anyone who inquired, right? It was a, it was a big reason for their growth throughout the 70s and 80s. Now, that decision to franchise also forced them to put a cohesive product line in place. The BMT, right, the biggest, meatiest, tastiest sub was introduced in 1975, uh, not uh, coincidentally, uh, just a year after they began franchising. And that became their first real promotion. In fact, it became their first real position. The BMT, of course, referred to the Brooklyn Manhattan Transit Corporation. Uh, back then, there were two main subway lines, the IRT and the BMT. And so they just uh, co-opted BMT and again, changed it from Brooklyn Manhattan Transit Corporation and made it stand for biggest, meatiest, tastiest. What they were doing is they were trying to position themselves against other fast food brands out there. Uh, when you get a McDonald's hamburger, right, it's this little burger. And what they were trying to show is that you get a Subway sub and it is packed with stuff, right? It's the biggest, meatiest, tastiest. They were trying to show that that you get more for your money here, right? And, and in the eyes of the consumer, that became their identity for a long time. Fast forward then to the early 2000s. As I said, the uh, the company kept franchising, kept growing at, at, at a, you know exponentially. But we get to the 2000s, and especially here in America, uh, the health and wellness, nutrition, uh, that whole industry really started to take off. And the diet crazes were really uh, front and center. 
so Subway uh, was a fast food restaurant, a very successful fast food restaurant. Um, but instead of you know huge portions, uh, they decided to reposition themselves with the tagline "Eat Fresh." In fact, it's still a tagline that they hang on to even today. But "Eat Fresh" was a uh, was a deliberate repositioning away from this you know big huge portions. Eat Fresh was they were trying to focus on uh, the quality of the ingredients, the fact that you didn't get, you know, a burger. It wasn't fatty. It was it was fresh. It was uh, vegetables, you know, lunch meat. The idea was that they were trying to uh, set themselves apart from the other fast food companies out there, uh, Burger King, Wendy's, McDonald's, Taco Bell, all these things that were notoriously unhealthy, and they were trying to present themselves as a healthy alternative. So in the beginning, it was the BM the biggest, the meatiest, the tastiest, and then they reposition themselves because of the diet craze uh, to uh, to this tagline of eat fresh. And again, the amazing thing there is that they were so successful with the first position and they were just as successful with the second position. So then fast forward to the end of that decade, right? What happens in 2008, 2009? Well, we've got the global financial crisis. Uh, we have a deep recession. And, uh, and Subway is faced with another decision. They were being left behind by their other cheaper competitors because the reality was uh, that their subs were more expensive because it was fresh food, right? Fresh lettuce and tomatoes and peppers and, and all of this. The subs cost more than uh, a burger, right? It was a couple of bucks more for a meal at Subway than it, than it cost at uh, at McDonald's. Uh, that was part of their positioning when they did the BMT, right? So basically they were saying, we may be more expensive, but look what you get. Look all that you get. Same thing here with the Eat Fresh, right? This idea that, you know, getting healthy food costs a little bit more. Now, when the financial crisis hit in 2008 and 2009, suddenly people were very, very cost conscious. So they were uh, they were at a crossroads. They either needed to, uh, to compete against their competitors or just try for something else entirely. What they decided to do was join the fray, and if you'll remember, that's where their jingle came, right? The $5 footlong. They basically said, instead of paying six, seven, eight dollars, uh, we'll, uh, we'll knock the prices down to $5, which put them back in uh, the same range as their key competitors, uh, McDonald's, Burger King, and Wendy's. So that was what they did for the next, let's say, six or eight years from 2008 on. Now, if we want to stop here, let's look at those three important positions because it's very difficult for any brand to reposition themselves. But this company, a huge company, the biggest fast food restaurant in the world, repositioned themselves successfully uh, twice, right? Three clear positions. So in the beginning, it was the BMT. They said, yeah, our sandwiches might be more expensive, but look at all you get. You, you know, look what your money gets you. Uh, then the other position was eat fresh. You know, uh, yes, it might be a little bit more expensive, but at least you're eating healthier than you know than a than a burger or or deep fried uh, potatoes, right? And then their third position was the five dollar footlong. Everybody remembers the jingle. You still can remember the jingle, right? And so suddenly they were fresh, and you got a lot for that money, and they were pretty much in the same uh, ballpark as their competitors. Now. Where are they now? And that's the and that's the interesting thing. And that's what I want to get into because right now, Subway has been suffering uh, over the last you know I'd say 
four years, five years. Uh, sales have continually slipped every single year. In 2016, they closed more uh, restaurants, closed more locations than they opened locations. Um, that's a big deal for a company that prides themselves on this huge footprint. So, so where are they right now? And uh, and that's why I want to talk about you know uh, just an idea for how they might reposition themselves in the future. So the idea, and I did this as a project when I was getting my MBA uh, in marketing, uh, and we talked uh, all about how Subway might be able to reposition themselves to capture millennial audiences, right? That was the challenge we were presented with uh, because the millennials, they felt, was a, a group that they were having a really hard time attracting. And so we went and we did the the whole thing that you do in, when you reposition a company, right? We did our, our SWOT analysis, our pest analysis. We looked at uh, the, the, the external factors, the internal factors. We did all of that. Just like when we talked about building a marketing plan, we kind of did all of that. And as we segmented the audience, right, we, we did all our target markets and then we said, okay, but the millennials are what we want to focus on. So, so how do we do that? And so there were, there were a series of things that we had identified, right? Especially when we did our SWOT analysis, the strengths, the weaknesses, the opportunities, and the threats. Uh, and the strengths of the company uh, are that they had this huge footprint, right? That they're this huge company with tons of locations in tons of different uh, markets, all, countries all around the world. That's a strength. Uh, the weaknesses we felt were their um, their lack of clarity, their lack of vision here. Uh, they no longer held a strong uh, position ever since the um, uh, the whole PR nightmare around Jared Fogle, and they really had to step away from Eat Fresh. Um, they don't have a clear position, uh, especially now as we're dealing with the uh, the COVID nineteen crisis. They brought back. Uh, the five dollar footlong jingle, uh, but what they started doing is they were uh, they put all this fine print there. So you only got the deal if you ordered uh, on their app or on their website, and only if you ordered two or more subs. And, and I can understand the impetus for for doing that, but it, it just muddied the water. What ten years ago we were able to get a five dollar footlong, no problem. I just walk in off the street and I get it. But now suddenly in the middle of this huge pandemic and, and I gotta I gotta get two of them and I gotta order on the app, I gotta download the app. As I looked at it all, I just realized it was very uh, very clumsy, very complicated. Um, just make it simple. Uh, meanwhile, then on their website, uh, their website, their homepage was all positioned towards this $5 footlong promotion, trying to get people to download the app. Uh, but then everything else on their website was all about this eat fresh, that they were uh, committed to sustainability and working with farmers and getting, and getting fresh produce and all of that, which, uh, which just seemed odd to me. Uh, and when we talked about it as a class, you know, because we looked, um, because we looked at it and, and it's like, we've all been to a subway. We, we know what the shredded iceberg lettuce looks like. We know the color of the tomatoes. I don't think you're fooling anybody. I don't think anyone believes that this is fresh, beautiful produce. And so it just seemed like a, like a, like an odd position to try to take. It, it, it just didn't gel with, with what the experience, the actual in-restaurant um, in experience was. So strengths and weaknesses. And then we looked at their opportunities and their threats. We just thought, you know, okay, but there is an opportunity. They have successfully repositioned themselves a couple of times. Could they come up with a new position uh, that spoke to what they do well and, 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 what, and what people know them for? Uh, we thought their, um, their website was an opportunity uh, and their in-restaurant experience, I think, is uh, 
wildly outdated, and there was an opportunity to upgrade that um, to provide a better uh, experience than than what they're doing now. And then threats. Of course, the main one is that the uh, the market is getting more and more saturated. So when the company was founded, you know, all those years ago, they didn't have to contend with uh, with a Panera Bread or uh, or Sweetgreen or Dig In or any of these other companies that are that are you know trying to provide a an actually uh, healthy lunch and, and actually locally sourced and sustainable and, and all of this that yes more expensive than subway but they actually own that that position and we just thought that was a real threat if they really uh, felt like they were going to have to be committed to, to owning that position so okay so that was when we did our swat analysis and we just thought okay well where do they go from here and so uh, so what we did, you know, as a class, and we talked about it, we just said, um, I presented this idea. Uh, I said, you know, Subway, they're going to change the tagline from Eat Fresh to uh, Packed with the Good Stuff, right? So the, the new tagline acknowledges uh, two positions that have worked for the company in the past and actually uh, would merge them together. So so Packed with the Good Stuff, Packed meaning that it, it's full, it's overflowing, it, it, it urges the, uh, the consumer to recall the BMT, right, the biggest, meatiest, and tastiest, except it's not just packed with crap, it's packed with the good stuff. So then we talk about uh, how we are serving healthy food, healthier certainly than the alternatives. Uh, and then we can you know, incorporate all the stuff that they talk about on their website and really put it front and center to um, to talk about you know, the fresh ingredients, sustainability, the, the partnerships with, uh, with farmers and, and things like that. So, uh, so again, what if they migrated from eat fresh to packed with the good stuff? It basically um, combines two positions that have worked for them uh, in the past. Then how do you put all of that into practice? Because it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to do it, right? You can't just tell people you're something and then and then show them something else. Actions speak louder than words. So the idea that we came up with as a class as we were talking about this was to, uh, was to overhaul the experience, both the digital experience and the in-store experience. So, so what does that mean? We said, well, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, it might have been novel to go into a subway and have somebody make your sandwich from scratch right in front of you. But in the years since, companies have have taken that and and taken it one step further. So brands like Sweetgreen, uh, brands like even Cold Stone Creamery, where it's where it's an actual experience. So again, we've all been to a subway and we know this, you know, this sandwich artist back there slapping meat into a you know, into a role, it, you know, it lacks that experience that doesn't give away that that fresh, you know, that fresh feeling. So we said, okay, scrap the entire decorations in the place, get rid of the assembly line, right? Get rid of the sandwich artists and instead put in kiosks. So people come in and they use kiosks and make that experience uh, really great. I was thinking back to uh, the interview that uh, I put on this show with Salim Khatri from Lavu, and he was talking about how the kiosks uh, not only uh, allow restaurants um, to cut down on their payroll costs, but also he's finding it was creating an increase of 15 to 20 percent uh, with revenue. And I just thought, okay, there's an opportunity there, especially when you look at 40,000 units worldwide, um, 15 or 20 percent really, really adds up. So we're going to rethink the in-store experience, get rid of the assembly line, put beautiful pictures up and really promote the farmers that we're partnering with, right? Really put that front and center, wear our hearts on our sleeves. 
Then, since the assembly line is gone, uh, it gives the um, the franchisees two different options. Either they can put in additional uh, guest seating, which may not be ideal right now, but in time, this will come back. So either they can put in additional guest seating to drive revenue, or it gives them the option to maybe go with a smaller footprint. Since they don't need this whole assembly line, they can go with less square footage, which again, these are two key ways to help our franchisees get more profitable. And then the other thing is the uh, is the you know, is the app redesign, right? Um, they're promoting their app and the, the app's like just okay, uh, but how can we really bring uh, this idea of packed with the good stuff, these partnerships with farmers, our commitment to sustainability, um, how can we bring fun back into uh, the experience, both the in-store experience and the digital experience? And that we felt was the way uh, to really attract a millennial audience and there are other things that we that we included but for the purposes of this um, the idea of how to reposition uh, how to reposition a brand again subway started in the 60s and 70s and then in the 80s came out with the the BMT right so it was about the the this plentiful sandwich and then they switched to eat fresh so things were more expensive than the competitors but it was fresh ingredients it was healthy um, it spoke to where the country was uh, nutrition and diets were were top of mind. Then they went to the $5 foot long. And all we're doing now is uh, the idea that, you know, how do you reposition yourself uh, as this global brand um, in, in this in this uh, current climate? Uh, and the idea that we came up with was uh, Subway packed with the good stuff and really revamping uh, the actual uh, the actual experience, how the brand relates with their customers. So Think about this in terms of your restaurant. Think about this in terms of your market. Do you know other restaurants, other brands that have done this? It's a very tricky thing to do for big companies, but smaller companies can do this much easier because we're nimble, right? Uh, we don't have to change 40,000 stores uh, over the course of you know three weeks. It's just changing one store, two stores over the course of a couple of weeks. So your uh, your assignment this week is to think about that. Do you need to reposition yourself one way or another? How do your consumers think about you? What do they think about you? How how do they think about you in relation to your competitors? And then think about if there's another position that might be open to you when you think about your restaurant in relation to your customers. And then just sketch out a couple ideas what positions might be open and how you might successfully do that. Now, this is a very complicated topic. If anybody wants to talk with me about it, I'm happy to field your calls. You can write me directly, chip at chipclose.com. That's C-H-I-P-K-L-O-S-E.com. I'm happy to have this conversation. I'm happy to be a, a sympathetic ear, a sounding board, whatever you need. Uh, again, Thank you for joining me this week. Uh, the email strategy workshop is open now. Uh, there are only 50 spots and um, I don't know, just about 10 or 12 of them uh, have already been taken. So please, if you want to join us, please do consider doing it. Uh, the link is in the show notes or again, you can visit restaurantstrategypodcast.com. Click the little blue button in the upper right corner. The workshop is on Sunday, October 4th. It's going to be a great opportunity for the restaurant strategy uh, audience to all be connected in one place. It's three hours, and if you guys have questions uh, and you want me to stick around for another hour during that workshop, I will certainly do that. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, thank you for joining me, and I will see you next week.